Our scriptures this morning come from the Gospels, and we begin with John's Gospel in chapter 6, verses 28 through 29. We read the following words. Then they asked him, Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Then Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And then in Luke's Gospel, we read about a man walking along the road who asked Jesus a question. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, we read these words. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and followed him. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we read these stories of people encountering you and wondering what they must do to be your disciples, God. And we also read of your words that call us to go into the world to to fish for people, to make disciples. And Lord, as we lean into that this morning, we pray that your spirit would fill Pastor Mike with your words and that we would have ears to hear what you would say to us, Lord. We pray, God, that it would become clear to us exactly how we can go about the work But Lord, understanding that work begins first and foremost, and it is encompassed really with the belief in who you are, Jesus, the one whom God has sent. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. We thank you for the blessings, our prayers and petitions that we have, and that we've written out on these cards, and we expectantly look forward to our prayer team, our pastors and others praying them for us and on behalf of, of those that we pray for, those that are aching, those that are celebrating new lives and, and other things. For it is a privilege to, to be able to pray with and for each other. And for all who have written out a joy or a concern or request, we pray that your peace might overcome them, that your spirit might fill them up as they pour themselves out, and not just on these prayer cards, but uh, onto your holy altar. We pray that all of us that write a thing or, or that even have a prayer that's emerging from our hearts right now, that we can be actively and, and, and attentive to your, to your work uh, this day. Lord, we lift up prayers specifically, a prayer of healing for Mark Carter, who's been in the hospital this week, and we pray strong recovery for him. And we also pray for Clarice Hines, Lord, who's been experiencing a number of health problems the past few months and and has had to miss our 745 service many times and we pray for her husband Frank who is caring for her at their home 
Lord, we know of many people in our congregation and in our circle of friends uh, who are undergoing treatments of various kinds, particularly we think of those that are going under cancer treatments who have had procedures recently or other health concerns uh, that are weighing heavily on them right now. And we ask that your love and strength will encourage them in their trials and give them the ability to go on. All these prayers, Lord, we lift up, the silent ones of our hearts, the prayers that we have taken pen to paper with and written on prayer cards, and the prayers that are just the essence of who we are as one body. We do this all in the name, the strong name, the perfect name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now, dear Lord, as we go before you to prepare to hear your sermon, um, we just ask that uh, you would bless Mike with your words, and that we would... Uh, be receptive and open to hearing them. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd encourage you to find those purple sheets in your uh, bulletin, or at least mine's purple. It, might, it says transformed at the top. Uh, those are the words of uh, the song that Simon, uh, to my right, our good uh, 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 director of worship and, and, and technology, has written for us. He's put together the arrangement and you get to get to know this song over the next few weeks. He's going to sing it for us once today. Uh, but I really want you to engage in the message of the song. We'll get you into the notes and stuff when that time becomes appropriate. But um, I want to uh, introduce to you someone you know very well, uh, Simon Campbell, who's going to sing um, the song that is uh, the basic and the background of our mission statement. So let's welcome Simon. All right. Very good. expectation we want to see your kingdom come we know that all we have we owe so we give our lives to be transformed we seek your generation will leave 
selfishness behind and we'll serve as your hands and feet so that everyone might be transformed take hold of us we pray help us follow you take hold of us today so that all may know the one who saves never left this earth come change our hearts today transform our world we pray help us follow those who watch would see your face and feel your power. Help us follow those who watch would see your face and feel your power. Take hold of us, we pray. Us follow you, take hold of us today, so that all may know the one who saves never left this earth. Come change our hearts today, transform our brought with me this morning, um, placed it over here, one of my favorite possessions. Um, this is one of the most favorite things of all the things I own, and I can tell you how favorite it is to me. It actually, in my home, sits right above the shrine to American football, my television. That, that, is, that is where this sits. It takes a, a place of prominence. Now, I, I tell you this because it, it, there are better pieces of art in the world from an artistic standpoint. There are more perfect things that have been made using wood and, and steel posts. But this one was made by my kid with me in mind. And so that makes it, to me, one of the most important things. And I want to tell you, you know, she took this class. I don't know what its name, those of you that went to junior high in the same place she did probably knows what it means but here's why I love it so much not because it's it's cool looking but because there was a day in her eighth grade year where she made a conscious choice to draw something out to put it on paper to start putting the supplies together so that she could make the I love dad sign 
She made a conscious choice. It wasn't an accident. It was, it was something she chose to do. And then she committed to the process. Anybody that's ever made anything out of wood knows that when you cut something with a bandsaw, things can go bad. When you use a jigsaw, things don't always go perfect. Not all the pieces work exactly. You've got to sand them down. You've got to put the stain on them. Then you've got to put the slack on them. You keep, uh, you know, keep doing that process until it's what you want to do, until it's a gift that you believe you know, represents you to the one that you want to give it. And she did all that. She committed herself. She, you know, she made the conscious choice to make it. Then she committed herself to the process of getting it done. And then she expected great results. She expected great results. Now, anybody that's known me for a long time know these things about my daughters. Until they get a wedding ring, they need no other ring except their father who is wrapped around their finger. All right? This is just simply true. And she knew that when she gave me that, my life would just be warmed. Not only did she, like, do all this stuff, she kept it a secret from me for the end of, from the end of school till Father's Day. It was awesome. I got to tell you, and she knew it would be. She knew I would love that. She made it with her own hands. She constructed her own heart, and she saw the process all the way through. And, and I tell you this so that we can get to this. Jesus calls us to a ministry of making. We are to make things, but specifically one thing. You see, Jesus has helped us shape a simple mission. Because the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our point. See, we all like to make stuff. Some of you like to make cakes. Some of you like to make stuff like this with your hands. Some of you like to make cars run that weren't running so well before. Some of you get on the computer and make farmland or Sim City or whatever it is now that's going on out there. But you, we all like to make something and that is taking the, the certain products, some raw materials, and transforming them in such a way that they make something really cool. But it's not that easy. Let me show you something. This morning I went out to my wood pile. And I grabbed a few pieces of, of wood that I'm going to burn in a campfire. And I just want to show you how this works. See? There's one piece. Two pieces. Three pieces. All right, now I'm hoping for something good. Let me get down here. Oh, man, this is awesome. See? You know, it's a perfect nativity. Well sanded, got some oak, got some walnut. You got Jesus, Mary, baby Jesus. Uh, you got Joseph, you've got the star. Everything we could want. What a magnificent accident that happened when I dropped that wood, right? No, we know better than that. Because that looks a lot like the ones Vivian Barnes used to make and sell at the United Methodist Bazaar. See, rarely is it the case that something fantastic, something wonderful is created by accident. You just throw some wood in a box and come out with something, whoa, a beautiful wooden bowl. That's not what happens. And neither is the disciple an accident. A disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ is not made by accident. A disciple is made by us, the men, women, and children of the church. Now, I know that the first reaction to the idea of making disciples for most Christians is absolute consuming terror. We're like, we got to make disciples? <gasps> now, I'm glad that there's some terror in this, and I'll tell you why. I'm glad when I say, look, it's your responsibility, my responsibility, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that there's terror in your heart, because if there wasn't terror, you wouldn't think it was very important. You understand the kind of commitment it takes to make a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've thought about it. You know it's hard. 
And so that's why I share with you this very simple truth, because it's critical to our life and mission together as a church. And that is simply this. God never asks us to do anything easy. God never asks us to do anything easy. God never says to us, hey, you know what, Mike? I I want you to, you know, just drop by and say hello to someone. It won't be that hard. He said, hey, Mike, I just want you to drop 10 bucks in the offering plate. It won't be a big deal. It won't cost you that much. No. You know what? God never asked me in my life to do anything easy. He never asked me to do what I was already doing either. Hey, Mike, you're doing a great job, you know, playing football or whatever it was, or eating that spaghetti. Good job. Keep it going. He asked us to do hard things, important things, big things. Because in this case, and what we're talking about today, discipleship, making a disciple is a difficult, life-consuming, time-consuming opportunity. And so there's three points to this. First, we have to make conscious choice to do the project. Second, we have to have complete commitment to the process. And third, we have to expect great results. Same as what Sarah did with making this. She had to complete, you know, she had to make conscious choice to make it. She had to have commitment to the, to the process and expectation of good results. So first, let's talk about this. The first thing we need to do in making a disciple is make a conscious choice of the process. And the process is aimed at a human being's life or a number of human beings' life. See, we read from John 6 earlier this morning, and that's step one. Step one is that you have to believe completely in the one whom God has sent, Jesus Christ. You have to believe completely that he is the Lord. And the second part of that is choosing to make disciples. And let me be crystal clear about why this is important in our generation, why it must be a conscious choice for us. See, we're a multi-generational church. We have pretty much all the generations that are alive right now. So I can speak to everyone here. The reason that I know, I don't believe it, I don't think it, I know that we need to make disciples of Jesus Christ is because 85%, 85%, that's most, of the 350,000 churches in North America, in the United States in specific, have either plateaued or are sinking. In our denomination, the United Methodist Church, probably more than 85% are in numeric decline, which means our influence is diminishing in the United States. The building of our disciples is diminishing. And i I say that, I tell you that little statistic to tell you the simple truth. The reason that we've plateaued or are falling, failing as a denomination is because churches have not committed to the making of disciples as their main task. They have not embraced that as part of their mission. Their, their main mission might have to do a soup dinners or making quilts or all those things. All those are good things. But the main task and responsibility of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And I tell you this, not because I want to go out and build some big church in Northeast Marion. I do, because I think that's what God's calling us to do. And it won't make any sense to go do that unless we make a lot more disciples to come along with us and share in the project. We need to be building up the church that is the human beings so that we can influence through buildings and other things, that, that which we're about to do. See, if the church doesn't make conscious disciples, the, the conscious decision to make disciples, it's not that we won't be able to build a big building. It's that millions in our generations, while we were alive, while we had the truth of God in our heart, millions in our generation will be lost to Christ. And that is our responsibility. 
and it is our opportunity. Now, I know sometimes you say, well, pastor, you know, we've heard this sermon before. Okay, let me give it to you from a cultural source. Last week, the 26th of September, USA Today had a front page article that recorded spirituality, uh, spirituality among American college students. They interviewed 1,800 people at a variety of different campuses uh, through email, Facebook, and otherwise. Here's their, uh, their, th- their thing. First, 28% of all American college students right now believe themselves to be secular. Secular means God, Bible, Jesus, not part of their life. Neither is Muslim, neither is Muhammad, you know, the Bhagavad Gita or any of those kind of things either. They just don't feel that anything uh, spiritual is necessary. They don't have the inclinations. And many of them are not even questioning the spiritual thing. They're just not involved. A third of all college students, 32%, are spiritual but not religious. That means they hope for the best, quite frankly. Maybe something in the organized church has harmed them or they don't get what we're all about or maybe they just don't want any part of it or maybe they just don't want to commit. But they're spiritual but not religious. Another 32% or a third of all college students in the world right now in the United States believe intently in Jesus Christ. And I I want to tell you this, this piece of good news. Young adults are always telling us what's coming. Their behavior tells us what's going to become you know, middle adulthood and and older adulthood soon. The one-third of the college students that are committed to Jesus Christ are intensely committed to Jesus Christ. They're living for him in their dorms. They're living for him in their frats. They are living for him by worshiping, by giving, by serving, all that sort of thing. So a third of the college students are what we would call uh, probably far better Christians than many of us were when we were seeking to be Christians when we were young. Now, 8% of college students which would be typical in any service, just don't care. They didn't answer or whatever. Now, now, when you look at this, there's a lot of ways to look at this. We first see a graph like that and you say, oh my gosh, we are losing. No. Losing is what you do at the end of the game. We're not leading right now, but we're not losing. Because here, if you look at this from the concept of sales, doesn't that show that there's a great marketplace out there? Doesn't that show that the opportunity is great? Doesn't it kind of like remind you of some words of Jesus? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, I think that there's a huge opportunity in front of the church right now to make disciples of Jesus Christ because there's a huge audience. Because two out of every three people you know is not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, I grew up in a prevailing Christian attitude where probably it was hard in my college, in my my little classrooms in school. Now remember, this is 40 or 50 years ago. In my little classrooms in school, it was hard to find somebody that wasn't Methodist, Catholic. It wasn't like, do you go to church or not? It's which church do you go to, right? But we've lost that. And we need to understand that less disciples are being made today than ever were before. And guess what? There's more of us in the United States. So there's a huge audience out there. And we like making things. We like making cakes. We like making cars run right. We like making tables with our hands. Isn't the best thing you could ever make a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that the best thing you could ever make? Wouldn't it just be the most awesome thing in all of your eternity to meet the Lord face to face and him to look you down and say, man, well done. You brought 23 people to the kingdom. You brought them well. Well done. You made some disciples out there. And I want you to know that when I showed these statistics up here, these are not faraway statistics. In that same USA 
Today article, this person was, was quoted. Her name's Steph McGraw. She said, I was surprised to find so, other, so many other non-believers at this school. She went on to say that she was grateful that she lived in a, in, in, in a country that she felt was so Christian, but when she got to school, she found that that was not the case. Man, I read that, and I said, where is this kid going to school? I need to go back to First United Methodist Church and load up some buses. We need to get up there. We need to take them some Gideon's Bibles and pray for them or whatnot. We need to get up there and tell them about Jesus, but maybe it's so far away. Where, where do we need to go? Take a look at where we need to go to talk to Steph McGraw. I'm not talking about some faraway place. I'm talking about the reality in which we live. Heck, this person is probably a fine person. She just doesn't have the Lord in her life. And what she's saying is, there are thousands like me at the University of Northern Iowa. So, of course, you extrapolate that to all the other places that we send our young adults to as well. And you might say, well, Pastor Mike, you know, we're all for the meeting, the the mission. We're all about that. But but then we don't really have any immediacy. We've heard this before. You've been preaching about this since you got here 10 years ago. We've had other preachers. Pastor Stan said it. Glenn Lamb said it. Dick Watkins said it. Lloyd Kellum said it. All the preachers that have been through here have said we need to be about the business of making disciples, but we just don't take any immediacy. You know, in a fishing expedition, we we say, yeah, we love to fish, but we've never baited baited a hook or picked up a pole to go about that. But that cannot be. We might even say, well, we don't know how to fish. Or maybe we just don't care. Well, let me tell you, because I think this is true. You understand where your pastors are at, right? You understand that your pastors are throwing down their whole life, and we're asking you to throw down your whole life to this making of disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can't let not knowing how to do it stop us. I study from the New Living Translation at home. I do my daily devotions out of it. We study from the New International Version here. It's just a matter of preference. In Matthew 4, 19, one of the verses we read earlier, In the translation I study at home, it said this. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you. I will show you how to fish for people. Now, I want to do a little bit of congregational involvement. I I know you're Methodist, so you might not want to raise your hands all the way up, but I'm just going to, you know, equip you, get your hand ready. Just raise your hand if during the course of your lifetime you have learned to tie your shoe. Raise your hand. Okay, so about 65% of you. Well done. All right, good. Um, good, good. You know, so we start. But here's the thing: when you were learning how to tie your shoe, you didn't do it all by yourself, right? S- someone guided you. So- someone helped shape that. And if you were like me, you know, they told you to get that bunny up out of the hole and run it around down there and yank it back through. I'd get frustrated. My little fingers weren't running right. I didn't want to be that third, that kid in third grade that had to go to the teachers like, "Teacher, tie my shoe," you know. And, and so, yay, I'm a shoe tire. Yeah, I think that's, that's something I'm really proud of. You know, that took me months to learn how to tie shoes. About you too? But I mean, see, so in the middle of it, we get frustrated. We might even, you know, I had a little bit of a temper when I was younger. I probably threw my shoes across the, the back room, and then probably got some time to myself um, after that. But see, eventually, you, me, and everybody. Now, maybe we've graduated to Velcro now, or just to slip-ons because we prefer that. But, but yay for all of us. Somewhere along the line, someone guided us and we followed that instruction and we took it on ourselves to become a shoe tire. So we should be proud of ourselves because we, if nothing else we accomplished in our lives, we've done that, right? And we got that going for us. But you know, obviously I'm not talking about tying shoes. You consciously made a choice to be shown how to tie your shoes because you needed to know how to do it. And I say we consciously need to make the choice to be shown by Jesus how to make disciples 
of him. And the second thing I think we need to do is to have complete commitment to the process. See, so oftentimes we give up so easy. We'll say to the pastor or someone else, we say, well, we've tried to bring somebody else uh, to church or to Bible study, but they just don't want to go. You know what? During this week, you know, if, I, if, we, if we took that logic, I asked a couple of friends, you know, people in the church, I called them and said, hey, you want to go to lunch? Now, if I use the same logic we sometimes do in church, we say, well, we invited some friends, they didn't want to come. My logic would be those two guys that I called, they don't want to eat lunch. They don't eat lunch anymore. Because I called them, I invited them to lunch, but they didn't go, so they must not like lunch, right? Well, obviously not. It was just because it was that day. Because they weren't available then. See, we cannot give up so easy on the, on the making of the disciples. We, we can't give up. Let, let me just tell you a story. There's these two boys, uh, brothers, Greg and Gary Sherry. They, they, they were out in Tennessee. And they're fishermen, right? And they're out fishing. And all of a sudden, in the middle of their fishing expedition, their motor gave way. And they started being drawn to the, to, to the dam. Look what happened to them. Take a picture of this. Okay? This is what happened to them. What happened is, before they got that line tied to them, they had to both lean against the motor of the boat or they were going to go over the dam. They leaned on the motor of the boat and it caught up on the concrete ledge. Three hours. Three hours they leaned on that. They, they were completely exhausted when the firemen, the rescue people finally got them off that thing. And, and, and the fire chief went up to him and said, all right, fellas, you, you guys had a lot of problem here. You probably should just give up fishing. But you know what Gary and Don Cherry did the very next Saturday morning? They went fishing. Do you know why? Because that's what fishermen do. Fishermen fish. They go fishing and nothing would distract them from their fishing. And the same is true for us in our discipleship making. Nothing can distract us from making disciples of Jesus Christ because that's what Christians do. We make disciples. That's what we love to do. That's what we want to do. It's not just because you like to hear magnificent sermons, wonderful bell choirs, a nice young guy come in and sing a song and be in a nice, comfortable environment. We're Christians because we feel we're part of this legacy that has built from year to year. I mean, if you look at the history of the church, it is astonishing to see that it's come on this far because of all the faults and failures that human beings that run churches have come. Yet it's so of such paramount importance to the individual disciple to replicate themselves, to make more disciples. And it takes complete commitment to the process of making a disciple. You know, when you read Luke 9 like we read, there's a million excuses that we could make to not follow Jesus and to not do this work of making disciples. But there's only one good reason to do it. And that is the lives of people that we know that don't know the Lord might come to know him. In Matthew 4, when you have those four boys out there fishing, you know, Simon, Andrew, Peter, uh, uh, James, and John, they're out there fishing. They're very productive lives. They're making some money. They had very productive trade. But guess what? They left productive trade to go after productive spirituality because that's where the Lord was calling them to. And in a few minutes, and and I'll just say these words right now. In a minute, um, folks, we're going to have communion. And if you're not from the United Methodist Church, um, that doesn't really influence us because we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is for all people. Uh, so if you're from a different creedal background and you want to come to communion, if you're Baptist, Catholic, or whatever, um, or even just want to receive Jesus for the first time today, that's fine with us. Uh, and, and we don't want to deny anyone. If it makes you uncomfortable, stay where you're at. 
but we believe that Jesus is for everyone, so, so come forward. And this is why we believe Jesus is for everyone, because he had a, the opportunity to quit. He had the opportunity to say, no, you know what, I'm not committed enough to this process. But instead, the night before he was going to die, he commemorated the fact that he was going to die the next day. He broke the bread, he held up the juice. And then the next day, he went to his death, committed completely, not to dying, but to dying for you so that you might come to know him more fully and completely and that you might grab onto the mission that he has for your life and work in the world. So, so here's the thing. Jesus was fully committed, just as we need to be fully committed, because as I started this message, the simple truth is that God never asks us to do anything easy. He never asks us to do anything easy. Now, I'm not going to stand up here, nor will Pastor Keith, and say, look, there's these three easy things you need to do, and then we'll start having disciples by droves. I don't believe in acrostics. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. And I don't think it's that easy. Because I really think disciple-making boils down to a very simple concept that we need to make a conscious choice about, that we have to commit ourselves to the process, and we have to expect results. And that's simply this. We have to offer people Christ in the most creative way that you can think of. Not in the cutest way, but in the ways that match them in their lives. We have to offer people Christ. We have to, 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 to be an obvious disciple. We have to be seen in the world to, for living to, for Christ. We have to be those people that look for ways to verbalize our faith in the course of our day. Now, I was talking to a student yesterday. I said to him, I said, I don't expect you to stand up on a soapbox in the hallway of Excelsior Middle School and tell everybody that Jesus is great, although I do think that would be cool, incidentally. But I do expect your life and the answers to questions that people ask you to say that Jesus is great. I expect it to come out that way so that they might see what a disciple is. And of course, we, we have to be doing that many times daily. Some of us, when we say it the first time, we say, oh, I can't believe I did that. But once you do something once, you can do it a lot of time. You can, you can repeat that. And, and we have to verbalize our faith. And of course, you know, I'm not going to come up here and hawk the programs of the church. But we do need help, of course, in our disciple-making programs among children, among youth, and, and adults. But I encourage you not to quit because of disinterest or resistance. There's a couple of deer hunters in this congregation, the 945 congregation. You know, these guys are going to sit out in tree stands from 5 o'clock till it gets light, and then again in the afternoon till it gets dark. They're not going out there one day to sit in a tree and then say, well, didn't see a deer, shotgun for sale. That's not what they do. They have persistence. They don't give up just because there's a little resistance or no deer come by. They're committed to the process and, and making it happen. And, and when you commit yourself, when you make a conscious choice and you commit to the process, then you can expect great results. My kid, when she made that for me, she expected great results. When we throw ourselves into Jesus Christ and, and making disciples for him, we can expect great results. We'll expect a, light to, to, to a life to light up. We're not trying to just make a good person better. We're expecting to make a disciple of Jesus Christ, a person that's going to put their whole life into Christ. And we're going to gain teammates for the work that we, that we want to be about, and the Lord will rejoice. And I'll tell you this. It's a simple admonition today that I'm talking about, simple admonition that I'm preaching about, and that is Christians make disciples. It's just what we do. We make a conscious choice of the project, which is giving ourselves to others so that they might come to know Christ. We make, we make complete commitment to the process of, of making the disciples, and we expect great results. And the great results we expect is that there will come a day, not so very far from now, when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord on heaven and on earth, 
And in that day, his kingdom will come here on earth as it has in heaven. To that and nothing less we endeavor.